attention architects, and creative minds. Get ready to supercharge your brand with Build Your Brand, the podcast that's unlocking the secrets of branding success for creatives. Hey there, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my friend, architect marketing expert, Jeff Eccles at Build Your Brand Podcast, where he explores the captivating stories of the world's top brands and transforms their lessons into powerful moves for small firm architects and creatives like you. In season one, Jeff shares the thrilling tale of Southwest Airlines, where he dissects their journey to the summit and distills it into strategies tailor-made for you. It's important to keep in mind that companies like Southwest compete in the real world, just like you, and face real-world challenges, just like you. You might be surprised at how similar those challenges are to the struggles that you grapple with on a day-to-day basis. Don't miss out on your blueprint for success. Subscribe, tune in, and let's build your brand together. You may have noticed that the very best brands in the world are also known for having somewhat unique corporate cultures. That's often the glue that holds everything together when they encounter those rough spots. We don't do it because it inconveniences the passengers to whom we are primarily dedicated, the short haul uh, frequent flyer. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Your Brand today. Remember, no matter the size, the journey's the same. Your brand's journey to the top starts here. All right, Entree Architect community, it's time for Context and Clarity Live, where we spend an hour every Thursday afternoon searching for clarity around the things that matter most to you the architect. And it doesn't matter if you're the employee of a firm or if you own your own firm. Maybe you dream of starting your own thing. Maybe you've even said that 2021 is my year and you're on the runway to starting your own thing. Or maybe you have had a firm for a year or 10 years or 20 years and you're starting to rethink or reimagine what that firm could or maybe even should be. All of the topics that we cover fall under the broad umbrella of the business of architecture and they're all the need-to-know topics for the success of architects just like you. If we've never met before, my name is Jeff Eccles, and what you're about to listen to is the audio recording of a conversation that my co-host Catherine McPhail and I had last week with our Context and Clarity guest. Every week, we have a new guest and a new topic, so let's jump right into the conversation. This episode of the Context and Clarity podcast is supported by Infratech. Bring indoor comfort to outdoor living with Infratech Comfort Heaters. All right, Entree Architect community, it's 4 p.m. Eastern, which means it's time for the Entree Architect Context and Clarity Conversation for Thursday, November 11th, 2021. Happy Veterans Day if you are in the United States and everybody out there say hello. Great to have you here with us. Um, I see Chris Novelli over there in Massachusetts. Uh, he wins the crocheted bathtub, actually. Yes, he did. He asked about that. Christian, I see you over there in Ithaca, New York. Uh, anybody else that's out there, say hi when you get here. Let us know that you're here and let us know uh, where you're joining the conversation from. If we've never met before, my name is Jeff. I'm in Indianapolis and I come here every weekday afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern for one reason, so that we can find clarity around the things that matter most to you. The architect, it doesn't matter if you're the employee of a firm or you own your own firm. 
Maybe you circled a date on the calendar and you said 2021 is my year. If that's the case, you've got a month and a half to get that done. (laughs) (laughs) Or maybe you have owned your own firm for a year or 10 years or 26 years. And you're starting to rethink or reimagine what that firm could or maybe should be. All of the topics that we cover, one topic every day, they all fall under the broad umbrella of the business of architecture. They're all the need-to-know topics for the success of small firm architects just like you. Uh, This is a Context and Clarity live day today, which means I'm joined, as always, by Catherine McPhail. Hi, Catherine. How are you? Hi, Jeff. I'm all right. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Where are you? Ah, uh, is that a trick question? I'm no, in it's Massachusetts. Not a trick question. I'm just in my office in Massachusetts. Yeah, where are I, you? I, I, I'm, I'm in the Matrix, yeah. stuck in a, stuck in a white box, or yeah, in Indianapolis. Yeah, I always do this intro, and of course, it rolls off naturally, like, uh, like it's the daily, but it's different. There's two of us here, and I forgot to uh, introduce you and say where you were, but welcome from Massachusetts. Glad you're with us. <laughs> I, thought it was a, I thought it was, that was a hard question, Jeff. I don't know what I was thinking. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's tough. And, yeah. and it gets even tougher because some of, some people that may be listening to this on the podcast version are listening from the future. And so mm-hmm. that really, that really starts to mess up, mess up the flow here. But uh, the rest of you who are joining us live, great to have you here. Uh, again, say hi when you get here. Yes, Chris, you did roll in at 4.05 and snag the bathtub. Glad that you're here. Hans, welcome back from Portland, Maine. Uh, let's see. Scott's over there on Twitch. We see you out there in Drizzly, Glasgow, Oregon, Scott. Brian McCartney. Hi, Brian. Over on um, YouTube. We've got a LinkedIn user that's waving. I'm going to say that's Benita. That's going to be my guest. She always gives me the yellow hand wave from Atlanta. Glad that uh, glad that she's here. Mark LePage, Hello. Uh, Mark says, well, I can't say that yet. We haven't even introduced to our guest as we don't even know yet. But uh, hi, Mark. <laughs> Glad that you're back. Uh, let's see. Kurtz in Flint, Michigan over on Twitch. And um, yeah, Mark is Mark is joining us from Facebook as well. Some of you, I haven't seen this pop up yet. I see this on LinkedIn again. But one of the one of the uh, interesting dynamics of all this online stuff is if you're joining us from Facebook, it means you're joining from the Entree Architect Community Facebook group, which is a private group. It's a closed group. Facebook has its privacy policies, which means your name and likeness can't be released to Restream, which is the platform that we broadcast here with. So if you show up on the screen as Facebook user with a little generic symbol there, and you'd rather show up like Chris does or like Mark does um, with your name and and your likeness, then go to the URL that's at the bottom of the screen right now, chat.restream.io slash FB, which stands for Facebook, quite likely. Go there and give Facebook permission to let, uh, let your information out to Restream today. If you are a LinkedIn user showing up as a LinkedIn user, Try going to chat.restream.io slash li. See if that works. We tried that last week, and I don't think we ever got a response on whether that worked or not. But, um, oh, there's Benita. I did get it right. Why is it coming up as LinkedIn user? Well, now you're coming up uh, as yourself, Benita, on LinkedIn. So I don't know what uh, what changed, but you're back. Chris says he forgot about the ability to remember where we, <laughs> we're all from. <laughs> now reached the level where he knows... Who we are all are, all are based on emojis. Yeah, I don't even know what emojis mean. Yeah, but, that waving um, hand is an emoji. Okay. So I think you didn't do a very good reading of that, Jeff. I'm going to read it again. Okay, this is what Chris was saying. Right. Forget about the ability to remember where we're all from. 
Jeff has now reached the level where he knows where we are, who we are based on emojis. So he's saying like yeah. it used to be that you knew where you're from, but yeah. Yeah. the the problem comes in when you change something. <laughs> when you change your picture, I'm lost. When you change your emoji, you I'm lost. So you so thank you, thank you all for showing up this way. Um, and anybody else, anybody else that uh, is joining us, say hi when you get here. Let us know that you're here, even if you're just planning to listen in or multitask. That's all right. We've got a really interesting conversation coming up here uh, with our guests, which I'll introduce momentarily. And this is, we'll talk about this in a minute, but this is sort of a follow-up on a previous conversation, maybe six weeks ago, that we had with Zach Waters about risk management. It became really evident during that conversation that we needed to have this conversation today. So with that, let me uh, let me introduce our guest. Our guest today is an advocate and an entrepreneur and a mentor for design professionals. She's a lawyer and an expert in business startups, operations, management, and strategic planning in the construction industry. She's special counsel to the New York law firm Zetlin and, and De Kira, LLP, and the founder and CEO of Licensure, LLC. Patty Harris, welcome to Context and Clarity Live. Hi, Jeff and Catherine. Nice to see you. Nice to see you. Thanks for joining us today. It's great sure. to have you. Wow, Nicole, and, and, don't don't set the bar too high, Nicole, there. All the answers. I was just going to say I was a little disturbed about the bathtub reference at the top, but. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so we've got to explain that because if, if you're joining Context and Clarity for the first time, you have no idea what, what uh, the reference to the crocheted bathtub is. Every day we have a competition to see who gets in first. And um, my wife's grandma, it was a woman of many sayings and quips and 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 things, and she always talked about winning the crocheted bathtub. And so that is the award that we give to the first in, and also the furthest virtually traveled. And that's another reason to say where you're joining the conversation from. Let's see where everybody is. Uh, it's it's not unusual for us to span the entire United States and then jump over to. Uh, UK and some of the African countries and, and all the way around to Australia and New Zealand. So Excellent. we'll see if we, uh, if we have a, a long distance virtual traveler here today, we right. may have to give out another, another crocheted bathtub here. <laughs> some of us have a lot of crocheted bathtubs. They, they, <laughs> they fight for the prize. They really do. Like 500, 500 given away. So great. Yeah. 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 So I actually did the math on that today, Catherine. Um, oh, yeah. Tuesday, next Tuesday, we will have our 400th Context Ooh. and Clarity conversation. Wow. So, okay. Are we going to do something special for that? Or maybe... We're going to give away two crocheted bathtubs. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't know. I think I think we should think about that. That's, that's big. Okay. It is big. Yeah. It is big. We'll have to... We will have to... Uh, maybe a whole... Uh, crocheted bathroom suite i don't know i think we can get 100 people on zoom and we can just all chat together in real time okay everybody so unmute yourself and just talk yeah <laughs> be like being on the subway in new york anyway we'll think about it okay well pat <clears throat> excuse me patty thank you for joining us and and putting up with us so far <laughs> <laughs> um as i said at the beginning maybe six weeks ago, and I did not go back and look at the exact date, but about six weeks ago or so on Context and Clarity Live, our special guest was Zach Waters. We talked about risk management. And it became really evident in that conversation, yes, there's the insurance side, 
the E&O and, and all of those things. But there are a lot of things that we need to talk to an attorney about. So now we fast forward. Here we are. Patty, thank you for joining us to to be the attorney side of this this conversation. Um, I, I, I think the first question, and I'm chuckling because, again, if you're unfamiliar with context and clarity, we talk about these things all week. So Monday, we started out with our topic and what can an architect do without a license? And of course, the, the knee-jerk reactions are nothing. You can't call yourself an architect, things like that, but it's much deeper. And so I think the first question has to be, at least for me, does the answer to everything have to begin with it depends? <laughs> well, it depends, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> um, Fair enough. <laughs> the, there, the, the law of architecture governs a lot of the questions you have, meaning the statutory law, uh, black and white letter law. And I think people are often surprised to know that each state has defined the practice of architecture. And some of them are incredibly broad. If it's creative, it's architecture. And some of them give this like laundry list of, of what is architecture and you, you find yourself able to kind of figure out that you're not, not doing it. Um, interior design is not architecture. Interior design on the, on the inside of the walls. Once you go behind a wall, you're, you're doing architecture. Um, that's, that's a pretty generic thought amongst the 50 states. But I think it's very important and it's very accessible to look up the architecture law and they're in words. I actually often don't, I don't understand what your contracts say and I don't understand what, what it is you do exactly. Um, so often when someone says, will I be practicing architecture in a state? I say, I, I don't know, here's, here's the law, here's the definition of practice, will you? And I feel pretty confident um, that, that you know, my clients have been able to figure out based on the words of the law, whether or not they're practicing. Often they, the law includes words like consultation and investigation and design. And, and um, it's pretty clear whether or not you are practicing architecture. But I always encourage before, before you get into a new state that you, you find that out. Yeah, I, I think that's really where a lot of our confusion and, and, and maybe frustration comes from is, like I said, we, you know, in this conversation will likely span the entire United States, yeah. east to west or west to east, depending on your perspective, and, and then jump across an ocean or two. But you said it a minute ago, there's 50 states, there's territories, and hey, why would any of the two be alike, right? It, so Yeah, that, because we put lawyers out of business is the answer to that. <laughs> But, um, but, but I will say this, a, a common misunderstanding, people call me and they say, I'm not signing and sealing. So it's okay. Um, and that is, that is a, a very dangerous misperception that a lot of people have. So not signing and sealing doesn't mean you're not practicing architecture. It does mean you're flying under the radar of the authorities because you're not going to be filing plans that have your actual name on them. But 
suffice it to say, if something goes wrong on one of those projects that you've participated in, even if you're not signing and sealing, you will be found and you will be sued. And it will be far worse for you if you were supposed to have registered with a state board and you didn't do so. So, so that uh, I, I would say that is one important lesson today is signing and sealing is not the standard for practice. The other, the other thing I'll mention is sometimes people say I'm not signing and sealing, but I'm also working with a local person in a different state and that local person is signing and sealing. There are a handful of states maybe maybe 15 altogether that have something in the law called exemptions to practice and it's always it, it, the word in the law is always either exemptions or exceptions and some of those states do allow you to act as a consultant to a local architect so there are there are a handful of cases where you can do that so is that the same as the, I don't know, the relationship maybe between, um, and not all projects are, are done this way, but you may have a design architect and an architect of record. Is that the, is that so, essentially what we're talking about? Or is it um, almost, you would be, because of something you said at the, at the very start, um, if you are not licensed in a state, you are not entitled to call yourself architect. It, that right. that word is married to a license in a in a state. Right. So if I'm licensed here in New York, I can't call myself an architect in New Jersey. Um, but you can be a design consultant. In so you're not using the word architect. You're still most likely providing design architecture services. You can't take credit for a project. So one one thing a lot of architects have in common is just gorgeous images and beautiful websites. Um, if you are acting as a design consultant in a state that allows you to do so, uh, you have to be just very clear. Don't use don't use the word design architect on your website in public associated with a project where you're not licensed. Uh, but to okay. say consultant or consultant to and name the local, that that's permissible. Or designer, maybe. Designers would work too. I mean, it's really staying away from that term architect in states where you don't hold a license. Yeah, that makes sense. So, you know, again, I mean, 50 states, lots of, lots of different, uh, nuances and you know and whatnot what's what's the best way for someone to research um you know if if catherine you know catherine's an architect she's licensed in massachusetts right Mm. um if if catherine where do you where do you want to work catherine that's outside of massachusetts i don't know when we have these shows i don't i I don't want to be an architect anymore i just want to say you know what forget it i'll just (laughs) i'll just do reading cards or something so if I if I say I'm an architect, I have to say I'm in Massachusetts. I would guess, right? I'm in Massachusetts. I might like to work in other New England states, who like New Hampshire, Vermont, or anywhere. 
but I, I don't, my lawyer told me not to bother because if I got, uh, I don't what, what would the word be? If I got a citation, I'm not sure what you get. Is it a reprimand or something that's associated with a fee? He said I would just pay the fee instead of paying him to help me get out of it because it would, you know, cost 500 versus Wow. I wish it, I wish it was like that. And maybe for you, it, it would be. Um, so, so there were a couple of questions embedded there. Um, the first is where do I find out, uh, each you, architects are regulated at the state level. Um, so states have, have boards of architecture or boards of technical professions. You'll always be able to find the board that regulates you. You can find it through NCARB's website. You can find it through my licensure website. I have a map. You just click onto the state you're interested in and it will take you, you know, you click through to the Secretary of State or the Board of Architects or wherever you want to be. Um, it's pretty easy to, to look at the board's website and find the regulatory law if you want to see if you're practicing. Um, but there, there are a couple of levels of licensure that you want to look for in any given state. So it's, it's clear once you figure out that you're practicing architecture, you now have you, the individual, you have to have a license. Or if you if you operate through a larger practice right now, someone in your in your business has to have a license in the state where the project is located. It is always the board of the state, not where you're sitting, not where you're producing your work, but where the project is located. It is that state and that board that have the the HSW interest in the project and the interest in making sure that the people who are contributing to it are licensed appropriately. So you've now gone to a board website, you've figured out your practicing architecture. Um, we know for a fact so either you or someone in your business organization now needs to have a license to practice within the state. And now the second question is, does my business separate from my own personal license have to have a, a license? or be registered or be authorized. Different states use different terms, firm permits, business registrations, um, certificates of authorization. So you're looking to see if there's any business level requirements. Architects are an interesting group. If I look at all 50 states, um, I would say about 38 of them, 35 to 38 of the states do have some sort of business requirement. Um, most of them just say, if you're doing business, you have to have an employee or an officer or an owner who is licensed in our state. Those are, those are the easy ones. Um, but then there are some harder states like New York, um, like North Carolina, Ohio, Alabama, Virginia, a couple more that say that X number of your owners, some percentage of your ownership needs to be licensed architects, period. And oftentimes a certain percentage of those, or at least one of them will need to be licensed in the state in which you're trying to register. Um, and I, I see a question with New York. New York is, is one of the, the high bar states. So, 
in order to provide professional services in New York, you do need to be a professional entity. And I'm really sorry to tell you that at the top of, of our, our call here. Um, you need to be a PC or a PLLC. And, and embedded in that is that you're, if you're a New York domestic business, your owners need to all be licensed in New York. There is a, there is a, a type of entity here in New York that, that says, only 75% of your owners need to be licensed in New York, but that's that's the cheapest you can get away with here in New York. Um, so so those are so those are the basic questions. You you need to get to a board website, and you need you need to figure out if you're practicing, confirm that somebody's got a license, and then look and see if if your business entity needs needs to have a license as well. And like you said, someone can go to Incarb or your website, which is mm-hmm. licensure.biz. So yep. license, sure, cool. S-U-R-E, yes. all smashed together like one word, licensure.biz. Yeah, because somebody if was sitting on the, there. on the other word, B-I-Z, and I wasn't going to pay a ransom for it. And then, <laughs> Catherine, you had a super interesting reflection, too. And you said, you know, if I get caught uh, practicing architecture... Um, mm-hmm. in, in a state or giving out my business card um, in a state, the, the lawyer said just to pay pay the board and not, you know, cough well, up your fine to the board, not to the lawyer. Well, this was like, a, I had this idea that I was going to have a design helpline. So it was, he was saying there will be a question of whether you're practicing architecture, even though you're physically in Massachusetts. So, and then if somebody turns you in, it'll be less expensive for you just to pay the fine than to try to get me to help you to get out of it, even if you're not really practicing architecture based on the state's definition. So so there's so so there were two really important points that you inadvertently raised there. Um, <laughs> one of them is about the timing uh, of when you need to have these licenses in order when you're when you're thinking about working in a new state. Um, and I'm going to talk about the state of Nevada for a minute because they're horrible and they're the worst in this in this end. In Nevada, in order to offer services, you need to be authorized. You need to be licensed and your business needs to be authorized by the board. Not a particularly quick process, but if you hand out a business card that says architect, engineer, what you know, whatever regulated profession, somehow they find you in Nevada and then they fine you. And uh, so it is in this state by state inquiry as you go forward, it's super important to figure out when they expect you to be licensed and authorized by. Is it okay to wait until you sign a contract and you're actually providing services? Or do you have to do it before you even answer an RFP or participate in a design competition? or even talk to a client and hand over a business card. So it is, um, so look for timing, look for anyone who includes in the practice of architecture offering to, to provide architectural services. Or often if you look at the applic- the business application, it'll say right there, you need, you need, we need to issue this to you before you offer in our state. And then the second issue, Catherine, um, if you if you if you have your design um, design hotline business and New Hampshire finds you is and finds you is it doesn't 
this your secret doesn't end in the borders of New Hampshire. You are right. actually compelled as a license holder to now report that you've had a problem mm-hmm. to every jurisdiction in which you're licensed. Yeah, yeah, that's what he also said that it was just going to go on my permanent record, and and I just didn't want to have to deal with that. Yeah, that's exactly what, so that it's it's all, particularly for firms that do practice all over. You know, they'll say, well, how much is it going to cost me to get around something? And I'll say, I don't know. You know, the top fines of this state are ten thousand dollars, and they'll say, yeah, well, in the context of this project, I don't care. I need to I need to get the offer out or whatever it is. And I say, well, you know, okay, cool. But if they find you, you are going to spend so much time reporting this to every other jurisdiction where you're registered and it's going to just trail you. Uh, And that's a nightmare. And and we've done it. Um, So so be mindful that, uh, you know, what happens in Las Vegas in architectural world actually doesn't stay there. Um, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> that's that's why you wanted to use Las Vegas as the. As the I, no, I just thought I just thought of that, but but it, <laughs> it, it is true. It's um, you know, it's interesting. I, it's a it's a particular challenge to be a design professional business, and somebody once told me that the few minutes. One of the reasons that that your work is like God's work, is somebody once told me that the few minutes they spend on business in architecture school happens right before you start studying for your exams and no one's paying attention. So a lot a lot of these intricate licensing webs don't really arise for people in reality until they're actually practicing. And um, Jeff, I was telling you, I think one of the benefits of the pandemic is people suddenly realized that they didn't actually need to be somewhere to practice there. And it's been a really super cool and happy trend that, that I've seen in the last you know, year and a half, two years is solo practitioners, small firms realizing that you know, there's no reason to stick to their home state in terms of the work that they're looking to do um, and the work that you know, they they thought they traditionally had to do at home. Clients are very used to this this communication we've got going, um, you know, and so so you see this opening up. And I think this conversation is super relevant to, to the people who are who are here because it's 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 a whole wide world now. In the last few years, premium outdoor spaces have become a must-have architectural feature. And Infratech Outdoor Electric Heating Systems have become the brand of choice among leading architects. Infratech heaters provide energy-efficient, ambient warmth that allows homeowners to live outdoors during the cooler months. Clients love them because they can enjoy up to 100 more nights a year outside. Architects love them because of their unparalleled versatility. From heater capacities and colors to mounting options that can either seamlessly disappear or accentuate a space with beautiful decorative coverings. They're also the only comfort heat company to offer smart home integration and hands-free voice-activated control. For over 60 years, Infratech has made their products in the United States at competitive prices. They offer incredible design and live technical support at every stage of the job. Infratech is specified at the world's most prestigious properties. 
Learn why and sign up for a free consultation at infotech-usa.com forward slash podcast. You know, where I live in Indianapolis, fall is a beautiful time of year. Right now, the leaves are orange and yellow, and there's a wonderful Christmas in the air. But let's be honest, as beautiful as it is, sitting on the porch and shivering as I watch the neighborhood go by starts to lose its appeal. I guess it's time to consider an Infratech heating system so that I can sit outside at least until all of the leaves have fallen. You know, just knowing a lot of the folks in the community here, um, we have more than a handful that have, for whatever reason, started their own thing, their own firm in the last uh, 18 months or two years, as, as you said. So for, and I know there are some others still talking about starting their own. So for for those just getting ready to start their own firm, what's what are the best first couple of steps that they, they need to take right now? Buy insurance, <laughs> which it sounds like you talked about a couple of weeks ago. Um, so it's the idea of setting up. I mean, that was one thing I did just want to mention. Um, the idea of setting up a business entity is to kind of isolate and insulate your own personal assets from liability. And the the one most important thing that that you as licensed professionals and, and me too as a licensed professional has to realize is that negligence pierces the corporate veil. So if you commit malpractice, theoretically, it your, your business entity is not protecting you. So the first, the first, very first thing you want to do is make sure that you're carrying um, E&O or, or malpractice insurance. And that covers your business, but it covers you, the licensed professional. Typically, you articulate on those policies who in your business has a license. And, um, and those policies then kick in. If you, are, if you are sued for negligence, it covers your business, but it covers you. So, um, so that, that's the first advice I give to anyone who's, who's starting, starting a practice. Other than that, um, make sure that you're comfortable with marketing. Make sure that you have a budget. None of these things are like, I don't give any legal advice about starting a practice. Uh, if you, if you're starting a practice with at least one other person, uh, I think you should have some sort of management agreement or ownership agreement. Um, that's important for, it's like a prenuptial agreement. It's important in case all doesn't turn out well. And, it, and that's the hardest part of it is sort of thinking about what somebody's exit strategy could look like. <clears throat> but I, I'm sitting in New York City. I just, I'm hearing a siren down there. We have a lot more bicyclists uh, due to the pandemic, in, including me. And I feel like there's a bicycle accident three times a day, not due to the fault of the bicyclists, by the way. Um, so, I used to say if you get hit by a bus, but now I'm going to say if you're a bicyclist and you don't know what tomorrow brings, um, it is super important if you're in a business with somebody else who's not your family member that everybody's very clear about 
what's going to happen to that business and your investment in it um, if you're no longer here to, to discuss that. So I can't, I can't emphasize um, how important I think it is to have a shareholders agreement. I know that sometimes people are starting businesses on shoestrings. I am totally down with the idea of pulling some form off of, of the internet and, and preparing something yourselves. But, but it, after you do that, get a lawyer to look at it. So a, someone in your home state where you created the entity, it, that's a good person to, to look at whatever you've created. It's certainly easier as a lawyer who, who charges fees to look at something and mark it up than to create something from, from whole, whole cloth. So, um, yeah, I'm okay with that, but it should be done. Um, in terms of the licensing, it's, it, you know, it's the same answer. Just know where you think your practice is going to be and make sure that you're familiar with what you're getting into. And, um, and this time I'm going to use New York as an example. Again, New York is the most protracted process of the 50 states in terms of getting an entity authorized. And we typically at licensure start getting calls about now saying, I need to set up an entity by the end of the year. I'm going to go out on my own on January 1st. And, um, we've been at it long enough where we, we don't panic because we know it can't happen and we just laugh a little and and give people a reality check um but to give you an example of the new york process and there are there are a few states that have this process but it's just more compressed than other states um the first thing you have to do in new york when you're setting up a, a design professional entity is you have to get consent from the state education department which is the regulatory board in new york um and, and all they're really checking is that your name comply, your corp, your business name complies with state law, that your ownership complies with the state requirements, that the people who say they're licensed are licensed and they are licensed in the states they're supposed to be licensed in. So that little consent check piece is taking 10 to 12 weeks right now. And we can't move until we have that consent piece of paper in our hands. Um, and after that, you do what you're going to do next with the secretary of state. You either incorporate or form the business entity, or if you're an entity that's already formed elsewhere, um, you're qualifying it. That takes a day. And then you got to go back to state ed and get sort of onto their public roles um, as a firm that's now registered with them. So you go back to state ed and say, here's the filing I did with the secretary of state. And it's another four to six weeks to get there. Now, the, the last four to six weeks, it really depends on the work you're doing. Um, if, you, if you practice as a W or MBE firm and you are here to do public work, I assure you that the public agencies are going to make sure that your, um, your firm is listed with that, that extra four to six weeks. Your firm is listed in the roles of the state education department if you're doing private work for private clients, not so important. And you can pretty much start your practice 10 to 12 weeks after, um, after you start it, start the, the filings. 
So there's a good heads up for anybody out there that uh, wants to start their own thing and do it in New York. You're looking at Q2 of 2022 at this point. Uh, <laughs> I think based on the math I was just doing as as you were talking. Um, and and obviously, like you said, we've, we've talked about it a few times. Um, it's going to vary from state to state as to that, uh, what that process looks like. Right. Earlier, and I think mentioned... you see the, that press, the, the only other scenario where I see that kind of press is when somebody knows they have, they're answering an RFP or they, or they've been invited by a client, um, to, to offer the services. So again, like once you sniff out a project, it is really important to figure out whether you need to be registered with a board before you offer your services there. Um, because that gets very stressful. You know, again, I, I'm less stressed about it because I've been at this for a long time, but the client gets very stressed out if they recognize they have an opportunity and then they find out that it's a state where they're gonna have to wait on a board to approve them. So Go ahead, Catherine. I was just going to ask, how, what entity do you check with in your state to see what Same. So is? it's always, everything is governed by the board of architects in terms of when do you have to get a business authorized there? Do you have to get a business authorized there? When do you have to do it? Um, generally speaking, I, I would have said to you two years ago, everybody's super nice about picking up the phone and saying, um, hey, yeah, I know you, you know, Joe Architect, you need to be licensed here. It's going to take us four weeks to do that. And we can do your your business entity concurrently, or it's going to take you four weeks to do um, State of New Jersey. State of New Jersey, there's a, there's a board of architecture physical meeting every month. If you're lucky, you can get in your individual license into the either the next one or the one after, but they won't consider your business entity at the same time. So you have to get your personal license and then you, you got to wait for the next month to do the business. Um, and they're also not nice, uh, but there are, but most of the boards are nice. And so if you think you have an opportunity, you can always pick up the phone and call and say, Hey, um, you know, I might be doing a project in your state. Do I need do I need to get the license before I offer? Does my business entity need to be authorized? I mean, if you if you're finding their websites kind of obtuse, they've always been very nice and helpful about giving you that info. The problem I've experienced um, in about 20% of the states is they're not picking up the phone, and they're not awful great about returning emails. I've I've been trying to get someone in Michigan. Uh, to ask an architecture question for three to four weeks now. Uh, and and no, they're, they're not picking up their phone and they're not responding to emails. And I am using my, my law firm address thinking that, you know, that that'll give them some, give some air of authority and maybe that's what's repelling them. I don't, I don't really know, but, but I'm not, <laughs> not getting an answer. Um, so that the communication become a little more difficult, but by and large, it, you know, picking up the phone to a board is never, it's never a mistake. They're, they tend to want to be more helpful, except in New Jersey, than, um, than, than get in your way. And see, somebody's saying, that, like, you're right, my head is spinning from these conversations, but 
Um, yeah, it's uh, somebody saying Rhode Island was super, super nice. So exactly. But uh, so, Kurt, Kurt's also saying he knows someone on the Michigan board. Okay. Uh, can you, yeah, I, I will get your details uh, <laughs> later. We'll, we you will find we'll someone. You. It's not really the board; it's the office. It's a it's a it's one of those actual design architect questions. How far can you go without without a okay. question it, without a license? And when you mention the offer, I mean, is that basically the date on your proposal? Yep. Okay. Except in Nevada, where it's literally handing out a business card. I mean, you're always thinking that, I mean, that's a really great uh, question. So anything, be anything you're losing control of is, should be considered an offer. So if you're handing a proposal to someone outside of your organization, you know, that's an offer. If you're handing a business card in Nevada, that's an offer. It's actually an offer in most places, but they don't, they won't chase you for it. What's interesting about Nevada is they, um, their board offices are, are revenue producers. So they're very aggressive in investigating and finding because they use it for revenue. New York is, you know, a pain in the board, but it, but they're not a revenue producing board and they're also severely, um, understaffed. So they don't go out in the same way as Nevada looking for problems um, and then finding people for them. So if you hand out a business card in New York, it's it's pretty unlikely that the state education department's gonna gonna chat, you know, chase you down. If you hand out an um, if you answer an RFP from a New York state agency, that's a little bit different. Uh, they're they're gonna figure out you're not licensed there. They're probably not going to report you to state ed, but but you're going to be knocked off off any kind of list for consideration. Um, in that case, I I will tell you that in terms of states that are very aggressive about this, um, it's it's Nevada historically, Arkansas has been um, has definitely in the last five or so years been quite aggressive. If you show up in Arkansas. For any kind of meeting, they seem to find you, private, public. And then um, South Carolina is a new one on that list, but they also seem to have become somewhat aggressive lately. Those are the three states where kind of heard stories or had clients come back and I shake my head and I'm like, wow, I wonder how they knew that. Um, or I get new clients because you know they weren't able to do, do this compliance in-house. They, they found out that way. Um, but those three states in particular right now are ones where you would want to tread lightly without without business level authorization. That seems like an odd mix of states. That's <laughs> <laughs> yes, a Jeopardy question. What do those three <laughs> yeah, states have in common? So. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> we 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 have gotten a number of questions. Right. I'm like, I'm uh, moving. This is really quite an interesting group. I'm going from bathtubs to dead uncles here, just like catching words. But <laughs> I'm, glad, I'm glad it's a free association hour. It's great. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We, uh, over the course of the week, we've gotten a number of questions revolving around partnerships. So, what about when a partner retires or what about when you want to add a partner or Yevgenia has got one. It's probably a little too long to put on the screen right now. So I'll just read it. But it says, 
what if you're transitioning from sole proprietor to a corporation? There you go. Um, under the same DBA, is mm -hmm. that a different process than starting an entity from scratch? Great. So this let's let's call this section uh, business entity discussion. And uh, sole proprietor is actually not a business entity. It's it's a person who is practicing without the protection of a business entity around them. But that's not to say that um, you can't use your name, Yevgenia Watts, as, as a business entity name. You can. You can put a PC after it uh, if, you can, if you want to form a, a professional corporation, for instance. Um, so you... And you also, as an individual in some states, could use a, a DBA. So let me be clear about that. But if you're doing a business entity, you're doing a formation or an incorporation with the Secretary of State, which, which you don't do as a sole proprietor. Can you do it under the same name? Um, it depends on where you file the assumed name. Some states, you file it at the state level. And if you're going to use an identical name, they're going to they're gonna say, something's weird. We can't have two different things going on with the same identical name. In New York, you file, and in many states, and in most states, you file assumed names at a local level, like a county level. So at, so that name will be clean at the Secretary of State, and they, they would allow you to do so. Um, in terms of business entity types, Jeff, you use the word partnership, and that is, that can be, uh, a business entity type. People can can have a partnership together. It's it's generally and usually considered an unincorporated business entity. So you've almost compounded your problem there. If you want to be a partnership together, um, now each of the partners is liable for personally liable for all of the business entities. So you don't see that particular form of business entity used too much these days. You see um, some design firms still using what's called the limited liability partnership, an LLP, and that is offered in most but not all states. And it is what it says it is. It's a business entity and it's a partnership with limited liability. And it has, it has certain tax implications, which we, we won't talk about, um, but that's one possible type of entity. Some people in, uh, form limited liability companies. That's a pretty popular type. Also having certain flow through tax implications. And then you have the, the corporations. Uh, many people, and particularly those on the West Coast, form general business corporations uh, to provide architectural services. And many people uh, form professional corporations, which is a type of corporation to provide professional services, beware that professional corporations often come with a lot more bells and whistles about ownership and firm name in all 50 states than the general business corporation does. And be aware as well, um, Regardless of licensing and ownership, there are certain states that don't allow certain types of business entities 
to provide professional services. And this is where things, this is another one of those examples where things get crazy for design professionals and, and no one else has to deal with this. So um, California allows, as I said, for general business corporations, and most people do it that way because California starts becoming really weird about firm names as well as ownership if you're going to incorporate a PC there. The problem is if you're going to do a California-New York combo plate, New York doesn't allow businesses that are general business corporations in their home state to, to be authorized in New York. So we have problems with people who are doing business in, in California as an Inc. Um, California does not allow limited liability companies to provide professional services. That is not a board rule. It is a secretary of state rule. I don't even know. I have no idea why it's there, but, but the secretary of state will stop you at, on that one. New Jersey, if you form a PC in California, cause you want to go to New York and New Jersey, New York will allow you in, but New Jersey doesn't allow foreign PCs. Only domestic PC. I, I have like, don't even ask me why, why all of this is true. But, um, but I guess I will conclude by saying <laughs> the business entity conversation by saying that um, if you know you're going to practice in one or two particular states or one or two or three, it is very useful to game out that the type of entity you're thinking of is, um, is able to be used in those two, those two or three states. But oftentimes, once we get to a practice that has 15 or 20 states, you just can't do it with one entity. You, it's just impossible because um, you can't get the pieces together in a, in a particular way. The other um, interesting fact that I, that I only talk about now and hadn't talked about for most of, of my practice is the Tax Reform Act um, when Donald Trump was in his first full year, second year of his presidency, there were amendments to the Tax Reform Act. I think it was the end of 2017. And um, there was a certain tax break that was embedded for businesses doing business as an LLC, but not professional businesses. And somehow the AIA lobbied to get into the exemption, even though architects are professionals. So you can thank the national AIA. They've done something for the profession and it is to allow you to take advantage of a specific tax break that came about in 2017 for LLCs, not corporations, not PCs. So, the other person, other than the insurance broker, who I would call as I'm thinking about forming a business entity for the first time is an accountant. And whether or not an LLC will be more tax friendly to you than a PC or a corporation is a question for you to discuss with an accountant. I used to be very indifferent between the two as far as liability, as far as um, any kind of tax implication for people, but but now I'm not indifferent and, and I defer to accountants on that advice. Yeah, I, I was about to ask if there's a rule of thumb, but I mean, I think it's pretty pretty obvious that there's not a rule of thumb um, unless you got a there's whole not, lot of yeah, thumbs. Yeah, there's, there's not a, a rule of thumb. Um, I, 
I would say if um, I know that the deduction attaches to payroll. So if you're really solo and you're not really going to have a payroll, then you're probably indifferent and just figure out what's the cheapest way to go. I'm not, I, I'm not adverse to that, by the way, I, that there's a, there's a huge cost distinction in New York between PCs and LLCs. Um, and I'm not adverse at all. If, if there isn't now a tax break attached, then I always tell people to go, go the PC route. Cause it's just so much cheaper. Okay. Let's, let's shift gears slightly for a second because, um, with, uh, oh, and we're at the top of the hour. Wow. <laughs> um, <laughs> that went quick. It <laughs> Thanks did. for the heads, heads up, Catherine. Um, there, are lo- there are a lot in the uh, audience who do residential work. And in some states, there's no license required to do residential Correct. work. That would be uh, one of the exemptions that I was talking about earlier. Yep. Yeah. But in some states, correct me if I'm wrong, does New York require is is residential? I think there's I think there's an exemption in New York. Okay. Not not positive. Don't quote me. But I, yeah, I think, I think there is. So is there for someone that does residential? Where again, there's exemptions mm-hmm. in a lot of the states, if not right. all. Um, is there? Are they better off not being licensed if they're just doing residential? Uh. That's a really interesting question. I, um, I mean, I don't think you're ever better off not being licensed. I, okay. Uh, the, I guess the, the fundamental question, which I don't have the answer to is, are you able to avoid a malpractice claim? Because malpractice as a claim is something that you only, you only claim against people who have licenses. It's not to say, you know, you have other insurance, anybody can sue anybody. So you have other insurance, like general business insurance that covers you. Um, if you're not a licensed person, you're not working in a licensed business. Um, but I don't know. Generally speaking, I, I think you're better off being licensed. I guess the reason I'm asking is, you know, like, let's just say you're licensed in Indiana. Right. And, and you're only doing residential work and you're only licensed in Indiana, but then... I don't know. Your brother-in-law wants you to design. Okay. Separate question, separate question. And yeah, so that's fine. If you're licensed in one state and you go to other states where the exemptions in place, then don't get the license. It's a hassle. It's, it's an, if nothing else, it's an administrative hassle because now you've opened the door to having to make sure that you're fulfilling CEU requirements of two states that you're keeping up with license renewals. Um, so no, I think if you have your individual, if you will license somewhere, um, absolutely see if, if somehow you can get out from under getting a license in a second somewhere. Got it. Um, yeah, and just cause I know we're going to, I have to talk really quick, but if you are, if you are providing services to homeowners, there's in addition to the health and safety and welfare, um, requirements. Now you're kind of like in this consumer world where the states are really super concerned about regulating you. Make sure that you're doing written contracts. It's it's really important and and it's really, really important. If you look at the reason most people get fined in California as architects, it's because they didn't they didn't have a written contract um, with their clients. And regardless of what 
the project typology is. And um, the other thing is, if you if you are in the one thing we didn't get to talk about, if you are going into a second practice area, cruise through the architecture law. You can just look at the headings. You don't need to go crazy. Louisiana is an example of this. They're very and Pennsylvania is an example. Very particular about the stationery you use. Um, and you architects are super good at making new stationery when we need it for new states. Um, but make sure that you're complying with the board board rules. So some some boards say, oh, you have to put the names of the people who are licensed or their license numbers on your stationery. Um, so just if you don't see in something pretty fairly obvious to you, a discussion of stationery, then there's no no requirements. And it's in the law and it's never it's it's never on the board website. Pennsylvania does actually, as part of their process, ask you for a piece of your stationery they're going to use in Pennsylvania. Louisiana doesn't, but it's worth cruising through and, and making sure that you're complying with that. Again, under the heading of pieces of paper that are going to get out of your hands. Stationery is one of them. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. It's out of your control. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Well, this is... Um... I, we we could keep going for a few hours on this. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> but, yeah, that flew but, by. Yeah, it did, absolutely it, flew it, by. It did fly by. Is there a way for me to um, maybe like get a copy of all of these questions and and communicate with you all a little more, or how how would we do this? I love some of these questions. Yeah, there are uh, lots of good ones coming up here in yeah. the chat. Yeah, yeah. Let me let me see if we can figure that out. I don't know if there's a way that we can download you know that or not. While you're talking, I'm just going to copy and paste them. Okay, fair enough. Good. So we can, yeah, we can get those too. And that's, that'll be much appreciated. Again, we started this, like I said, at the very beginning, we started this several weeks ago, talking about risk management with, with Zach on the mm -hmm. insurance side, Zach Waters of mm -hmm. uh, Black Swan Risk Management. And it became very, very obvious that we needed to have an attorney. And so here we are with Patty today. Um, and uh, we really appreciate you spending this time with us and, and uh, explaining the ins and outs. And there's a, obviously there's a lot more that uh, we could could talk about. And, and um, so I would encourage everybody out there to uh, go to license sure. So license, the word license, sure, the word sure, just smash together like one word, licensure.biz. And Patty has some, some uh, informational resources there. Reach out to her. Uh, obviously, she knows what she's talking about across the the states, which is seems to be where a lot of our questions come from. Is what about this state and that state and the other state? So, um, so reach out to Patty. And yeah, we're super good at answering questions. We um, we we work with a lot of really large practices, so we kind of consider them to be supplementing our time that we spend in helping smaller practices. Um, so, you know, if you have a one-off question, I, I am more than happy, uh, to point you in the right direction. Um, so always feel free to just, you know, tap in through my website or, or whatever, you know, ask the questions, but I'm, I, I'm really interested to see the directions these questions took. So thanks so much, Catherine, for. Mm, well, it turns out I can't, I can't copy it, but I can, um, do a screenshot. So I'm doing a bunch of screenshots. Oh, great. Excellent. Okay. Yeah, we'll 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 get them to you somehow. Good. Uh, there's, where there's a will, there's a way. So, great. Um, even if we have to watch the replay and, and grab them from there, but uh, <laughs> that's true. That's um, another way to do it. Great. 
And that's a and that's a good point for all of you that are new to uh, context and clarity. Of course, we're live right now, but the uh, recording of this conversation in video form sticks around inside the Entree Architect Community Facebook group and on the Entree Architect YouTube channel. You can even go to my my Twitch profile or not my Twitch my Twitter profile uh, or LinkedIn profile for that matter and uh, find a replay of all of this, including. Not only our conversation, but including the uh, the commentary that's that's uh, running from the audience over on the side of the screen. So, um, and this will be published as an audio only version, a podcast version, wherever you consume podcasts on Monday at noon Eastern. So you can check that out too if you're a podcast listener. Um, Patty, really appreciate this. Thank you for uh, for sharing so much knowledge with us. Sure, today. Jeff and Catherine and Mark, wherever you are, it's so nice to see you and. And be able to chat with you again and and i definitely i see some comments i'd, I'd love to come back if we need a a chapter two of ways i can scare you <laughs> <laughs> all, right. Right. Okay. all right you're you're on you're on we're uh, right. we will uh, we'll get you booked for next year sometime that'd be great appreciate that, sounds that. great nice to see right. everybody nice to see you and for everybody out there we appreciate you all of you all of your comments all of your questions thanks for making this a thing because if it weren't for you we wouldn't be having this conversation with patty um so uh as always thank you uh please take care of yourselves be well be safe keep those around you safe and well take a little bit of time to breathe tonight live a little bit rejuvenate a little bit because we're going to do this again tomorrow so uh we're tuesday will be 400 uh, context and clarity conversations. I don't know what the math is. Maybe this is 397. But uh, uh, again, just take care of yourselves. Be well. Hope that I'll see you somewhere sometime soon. Thanks, everybody. Bye. I want to say thank you to Infratech Outdoor Comfort Heating for their support of this episode of the Context and Clarity podcast. Visit infratechusa.com slash podcast to sign up for a free consultation and learn why Infratech is the choice for bringing indoor comfort to outdoor living. Okay, well, there you have it. What did you think of that conversation? Hopefully there was some big takeaway that will help you this week with your business. If there was, let me know. DM me on Instagram or on Twitter. You can find me on all the socials at Jeff underscore Eccles. So send me a message and let me know what your takeaway was. And if you want more conversations like this, subscribe to the Context and Clarity podcast and leave us an honest review and rating. Those things really help us get the message out and help us help more architects just like you. Oh, and follow Context and Clarity on Instagram as well so you can get a heads up on everything that's coming up. In our next episode, Catherine will join me again along with a special guest, or will it be guests from the Context and Clarity community so we can break this conversation down? It will be Context and Clarity backstage, so to speak. So join us as we all share our biggest takeaways and look for ways to apply what we heard in today's conversation to our own businesses. And if you love content like this, check out Gable Media. It's a multimedia network for people that care about the built environment, and it's the home of Context and Clarity. With Gable's growing family of podcasts and video channels, I know that you'll find something there that interests you. You can learn more at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. 
And finally, if today's topic is of particular interest to you, and you'd like to dig deeper into it, then join me over in the Entree Architect Community Facebook group. That's where every weekday at 4 p.m. Eastern, I host Context and Clarity Conversations, and we take these topics and we dig deeper. We have a conversation in real time to try to find more clarity around the things that matter most to you. So thanks for listening. I hope our time together has inspired you to think about your community, your practice, and how you can support those around you. Catherine and I will be back for our next episode. And in the meantime, I hope you'll join me and the Entree Architect community on Facebook today at 4 p.m. Eastern so that we can help each other find more clarity around the topics that matter most, no matter what your context may be. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, Well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us. Can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success.